Uh, we've started a series um, last week called Encounter, and there's a little leaflet about it. Our Sunday mornings this term uh, about Encounter, and you can pick one of these up afterwards over there if you've not been given one. And the point is, is that we want to try and understand from looking at the scriptures various occasions when God encountered people. We want to understand something of why those things happened, God's purposes in that, and most importantly, what resulted from that, in a hope that we can understand and be postured and be ready for when God encounters us. Now, this does come with a bit of a health warning, because as I look through the list of these mainly Old Testament stories that are coming up that we're going to look at over the next few weeks, I do notice that in most cases, uh, the people concerned weren't looking for God to encounter them. In fact, quite the opposite. In fact, they were, on some occasions, actually trying to avoid God. So if we get into this understanding of God wanting to encounter us, it does come with a bit of a health warning, because it might just happen, even if, like Graham, you're not looking for it. So it's a bit scary. You see, God encounters people for his purposes and his agenda, and not ours. The good news is it is usually transformative. It changes us one way or the other, but it is for God's purposes. And I feel like I picked a, the bit of the short straw, or rather the short straw was picked for me this morning. Um, last week, Steve started the series by looking at the encounter God had with Adam, particularly in the garden, and we left the story with Adam and Eve having fallen into sin and fallen into the attempt to be autonomous and separate from God and that resulting in judgment and exclusion and that inbuilt bias towards going our own way coming into us as humans and we find ourselves following in their example. So the next part of the story is the next chapter of Genesis and it's uh, the story of Cain. And I got an email which said, this is a bit difficult passage, so we would like you to preach it. Which made me think, well, why have they chosen me? Is it because I am so in control of my life, I don't have any problem with sin and anger, and so I'm experienced in teaching about this subject? One little look at my wife and children says, this is not the case. Or maybe it's that, that a bit like a method actor, I so empathize with Cain because I'm so awful (laughs) that I at least can speak from experience. Um, I hope I'm somewhere between the two. Let's just listen to a bit of music. In the Bible, Cain slew Abel, and east of Eden he was cast. 
You're born into this life paying for the sins of somebody else's past. Daddy worked his whole life for nothing but the pain. Now he walks these empty rooms looking for someone to blame. You inherit the sins. You inherit the flames. Adam raised a cane. There's some big questions that we're going to touch on this morning. Are people, are we, are you and I determined by the mistakes, the fallenness, and the mess that those who go before us make? Can we be free from the inevitability of sin? Can things be different? Now, Bruce Springsteen was exploring that theme in relation to his relationship with his father, but the question's an important one. Are we just bound to a particular life because of what has happened to us? Are we responsible, and are we responsible for our actions and their consequences? Big questions. So we're going to look at that in this story in Genesis chapter 4, where God confronts Cain. Just a little bit before we start reading the story, um, a little bit to understand about reading this narrative. Um, As a general rule, when we read narratives in the Old Testament, we do need to understand that they're incomplete. They tell us what the writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to know, but they don't tell us everything that was going on. And this passage particularly has got an awful lot of questions you could ask of it that are just not answered. Okay? There's no attempt to portray everything that was going on at earth at this time. It's a particular focus for a particular purpose. And secondly, all Old Testament stories are all part of a bigger story. The bigger story of God's purposes and God's dealings with his people. And to cut a very long story short, the story of God's people is something along the lines of God wanting to carry on with his original plan from Genesis 1 to have an earth full of people ruling it in fellowship with him. And so he chooses a people to demonstrate what it's like to be the people of God. A people following him, blessed and cared by him, holy like him. Not only that, these people being a blessing to all nations, and ultimately that they might be like them and be his people as well. That's the story of the Old Testament. So any story you read in the Old Testament has to fit into that bigger story. So we can look at one little local story about one guy but it fits into that bigger picture of God's purposes. Let's read the first bit of the story. Now, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. That name Cain sounds like the Hebrew word to bring forth. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain bought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. 
But Abel bought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. And it showed it in his face. His face was downcast. Adam and Eve, having disobeyed God, were under God's curse. They were expelled from the garden, but they did continue with God's call on their life. They had children. Actually, one of the commands of God, that however much we mess up, humanity has been reasonably successful, is to fill the earth. They carried on, and that's part of God's big purpose encouraging to this point to notice that even if we mess up, God's ultimate purposes are not thwarted. Adam and Eve messed up, but they still got on. They had two sons who were very different in occupation and, as we shall find out, in character. Now, it's not clear from the passage why they sacrificed. We're just not told how they came upon this idea or whether God told them to do it, because sacrifice as a means of getting right with God and worship comes much later in the Old Testament. But I guess it's something to do with worship. But we're just not told why they hit on this idea. And we don't really know why Cain's sacrifice was unacceptable, or do we know how God communicated that to him? It's probably something to do with how it was offered, because in Hebrews it tells us Abel's faith and Cain's lack of it was the reason. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did, and by faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And maybe it was something to do with the quality and the costliness of the offering, and therefore the heart and heart attitude behind it. There's no qualifying sort of parallel of first fruits of Cain's offering of stuff from the land that goes along with Abel's firstborn of the flock and the best portions. It was the very best that Abel had, and it isn't said that of Cain. Because, of course, the first of everything, the first 10%, the first of everything belongs to the Lord. There is something, I think, here to do with worship. Interesting parallel in Luke's gospel where um, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner. And while they were there, a woman who lived a sinful life came along with an expensive jar of perfume. Knelt behind Jesus, kissing his feet, wiping them with his hair and pouring the expensive perfume out. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It was something of the mark of the costliness and the wholehearted devotion that Jesus found acceptable. I don't know whether that's what was going on with Cain and Abel, but maybe it's something like that. And Cain responded by being a little bit ticked off. 
Well, actually, no, it says very angry. The word literally means enraged. You see, anger is something like this. When something happens that in our estimation shouldn't be, that triggers anger. When something happens, either to me or to somebody else, or some situation happens that really shouldn't have happened, and it's wrong, that triggers anger. So the first encounter God has with Abel, was with Cain rather, is at this point. And this is the key thing in the whole story. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Starts with the question. But interestingly, I said it in a certain way. What we never know when God speaks like that is quite what tone of voice he's spoken. Do you know, I just wonder whether there was compassion in his voice. Something along the lines of, Cain, why are you angry? Why are you downcast? Do tell me. We can get this right. It doesn't have to be like this. I don't know. Just a little tip. When God says something in the Bible, try reading it in a different tone of voice and see if that brings some revelation. Because we could read this as God being harsh and stern, but I just wonder whether there's a winsomeness and he's calling to Cain. There's still time to change. You don't have to go through with this. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? There's an appeal here. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Encounters with God often do start with a question. It was there in Genesis chapter 3. We saw it last week. And God never asks a question because he doesn't know the answer. Let's just get that clear. But to bring revelation, and usually self-revelation to the person receiving the question. And here, I think, God asks this question in order to give Cain the chance to change his heart. God was warning Cain before it got any further to deal with his anger. Giving him a chance to get it right and avoid the consequences of sticking with it. Showing his mercy Not only in giving a way out, but in outlining the consequences as well. And we are going to talk a bit this morning about God warning us. We would do well to listen when God warns. But let's understand when God warns us, it's because of his grace and mercy towards us. It's not a happy, clappy message this morning. We're talking about God warning us. I can't dress that up in a fun way. The bottom line is this. God says, be in control, but if not, you're going to be controlled. Be in control, or if not, you're going to be controlled, is essentially what's being said here. This verse, verse 7, which I've got up here, is quite a difficult verse to translate, but the word acceptance is closely linked in Hebrew with forgiveness. 
So it's likely here there's an offer of forgiveness from God before it gets any worse. An offer to get right if God resists the pull to follow through on his anger. So it's something along the lines of turn away, repent. Because repentance is more about what you do than what you say. How many people with me think repentance is about saying sorry to God rather than turning and doing, different th- doing things differently? Ouch. Repentance is about acting it out as well as saying it. Okay, sin is personified here as a sort of a demonic-like figure. Um, the word here, crouching, actually refers in the Babylonian sort of understanding to a little demon figure that crouches at the door, and as you come out the door, it kind of <laughs> leaps on you and gets you, a bit like Gollum. Um, I couldn't find a picture of a Babylonian demon, so I put one of Gollum up instead. But it's a picture of this little crouching figure, crouching by the door, ready to spring on you and get you. Sin is crouching at your door, waiting to jump on you and get you. Let's not get too scared. But, even though it desires to have you, you must master it. Uh, Just as an aside, I'm not sure this is teaching that every sin means demon possession. However, I do think it's possible if you perpetually give yourself to something, then spiritual forces can come in and start calling the shots and put in sin patterns. See, one of the marks of our fallenness is the lack of rule, and particularly lack of rule of self. God created us to rule. And the first area of rule is ourselves. You see, God... Hmm. Going out on a limb here. I think God never asks us to do the impossible. If he says to Cain, you must rule it, I take from that it's possible to rule it. See, God will never subject us to calling us to do something that's impossible. And I think sometimes if we understand the grace of God in forgiveness, freely given to us, and the role of the Holy Spirit in changing us from one degree of glory to another. All of that is true and great, but we can sometimes get lulled into a false sense of not needing to battle with sin and rule it. Because we understand that God's gracious love forgives us, and we understand that God works gradually in us to change us. But sometimes we can a little bit play down this, what Hebrews calls struggle with sin. And the warning here gives Cain two things. An opportunity to do what is right, that is, to worship rightly, wholeheartedly, not bring a substandard offering, and the opportunity to rule his anger. Because as Jesus pointed out, if you don't rule your anger, stuff happens that you didn't intend. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said to the people of old, you shan't murder, and whoever murders is liable to judgment. But now I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. See, Jesus goes for the heart because he knows that people live inside out. What starts on the inside comes out. The law constrained bad behavior. Jesus goes for the heart attitude. And there's a reflection of that here. Deal with the rule it, otherwise it'll get you. 
There's a thing called the law of unintended consequences. Things happen that you didn't expect or couldn't predict. And it's a bit like that with anger, I think. Okay. Here we go. Um, this is an angry bird. I never get that, by the way. Being an ornithologist, I wouldn't want to ascribe human emotion to, to any, um, any avi, avi, avian species, particularly. Um, I do get Mr. Angry. Um, and uh, we have a little saying sometimes that when somebody rants on about something, they're being Mr. Angry. Anger's an emotion... And it's usually related to the experience of having been offended, okay, wronged or denied, or basically stuff happened that you didn't think should have happened. And it tends to then not stay there. Righteous anger is possible, by the way, because if stuff happens that shouldn't have happened, that really shouldn't have happened, anger is an appropriate response. And you see that sometimes when, in the tragic cases, and you've seen it this week, of uh, relatives of people who've been murdered. But when we see things like child trafficking and stuff, anger is an appropriate response. The issue is not that. The issue is what you then do with it. So let's go and have a quickly have a look at what the Bible says about anger. Um, number one. Proverbs says something along these lines. If you, get, if, it's, if you find you get angry quickly, that's foolish. And it may affect your health. Now that's my paraphrase of Proverbs 29. <laughs> A quick-tempered man displays folly. That ends up foolish. A heart at peace gives life to the body and envy rots the bones. Actually, it's true medically. Anger can so eat away at you that it can have... Physiological consequences. Okay, so anger's not a good thing. Anger produces relational conflict almost inevitably. Uh, and as we shall see with Cain, it certainly did. A man of wrath stirs up strife. <coughs> anger produces all sorts of wrongdoing. Proverbs goes on to say, a man of wrath, and one given to anger, causes much transgression. That just means lots of bad things. It's difficult to get free from. Despite God's appeal to Cain to rule it, it's actually difficult to get, rid, get free from. Anger can be a snare, Proverbs 22 says. And anger doesn't produce right living. And James, it says... Anger does not produce the righteousness, that means the right living and the right standing, being right before God and acting rightly, doesn't produce the righteousness of God. And this is what we really want to get to. Deal with it quickly, otherwise it may increase and proliferate and go all pear-shaped on you. That's a theological phrase, by the way. Put on your old self, put off your old self, <laughs> says Paul, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the, in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. Be angry, 
Paul says in Ephesians, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's time limited. Deal with it that day. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Okay. Very quickly, how do you deal with anger? We're going to come back to this at the end. And we're going to have an opportunity. I did feel this morning, Cain's problem was anger. The issue is wider about sin. But I did feel this morning that there were some people this morning who actually needed to front up and let God help them deal with their anger. Because... You know about it, it's on the inside, but sooner or later it is going to go and come out. And that's usually bad news. Different thinking, not taking offense, being grateful, acceptance of God's sovereignty, even if you are wronged. All sorts of different ways of thinking, a renewed mind that can puncture the balloon of anger that can swell up. Different choices. Cutting the connection between emotion and action. Self-rule. And a different spirit who's in control. The Holy Spirit. Or at its worst... A demonic spirit that's landed on you. I'm not saying all anger is caused by that. Different thinking, different choices, different spirit. If you want to unpack any of that, we can do so at the end. Okay. Right, well, and this is the saddest bit of the story. Given the opportunity that it doesn't have to go any further... Given the invitation, I'd like to think there was a gracious tone in God's voice that he could rule his anger. What did Cain do? He said to his brother, Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. He deceived his brother, and he murdered him. The word out here is a bit sort of bald. It's actually ruthless violence is implied here. It's completely premeditated, ruthless, unerring destruction. So just let that sink in for a minute. This is extreme, but the root was his anger. The anger was rooted in something he perceived shouldn't have happened. Envy, jealousy, or what a, how his brother had been treated and he hadn't. And this was the end result. Sobering. Time for another encounter with God, I think. And I want to say this carefully because um, whenever a preacher preaches about sin, they are acutely aware that for every finger pointing forward, there's three back. It's best to heed God's first encounter when he confronts us about wrongdoing than to have to face the second one. But face the second one 
will happen sooner or later if we don't respond rightly to the first one. See, God is the God who's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. But there is a time when, if we choose to go our own way, the second encounter will happen one way or another. It may be a long time later. But God doesn't forget. He does see. Well, again, it starts with a question. The Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, said Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? Actually, there's a little pun here. He's basically saying, am I the shepherd of the shepherds? Am I the shepherd's shepherd? Because Abel was a livestock man. Am I the shepherd's shepherd? Oh, don't worry, there you go. Um, Which is what it says there. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless, restless wanderer on the earth. Hmm. Angry? Lying? Angry, rather, he deceived his brother. He murdered him. He then lied to God, because he did know where he was. And he was then irresponsible. Because the answer to the question, am I my brother's keeper, is yes. He might have tried to be a bit witty by saying, am I the shepherd's shepherd? But actually... Biblically, there is a responsibility that we all have for our fellow man. And actually also, particularly to our brothers and sisters. If you go and read Leviticus chapter 25, there is a particular familial responsibility to care for our close relatives. Particularly in in that instance in Leviticus 25, to care for brothers. One thing that gives me slight encouragement is that I'm better than most people in the Old Testament because when they sin, they really do louse it up badly. (laughs) A bit like David, we've got a great long list of things here that all went completely... Mm. Maybe I'd better not have said that. (laughs) Lest it happen to me, but sin does have a habit of breeding sin. Having got angry... He planned maliciously to kill his brother. Having done so, he then lied and feigned ignorance and was irresponsible and didn't care. We could call this irresponsibility in not looking after his brother, but it's a callousness of indifference as well. The thing just multiplies. And actually, I'm no different from David, and I'm no King David, the one who messed up in a bad way. Um, Not anyone here called David. Um, And and Cain, because I find that the law of unintended consequences when we mess up happens to me as well. Anybody ever told a lie? No, you wouldn't. And then had to tell another one so that the first one didn't get get discovered. Well, Al McNichol, thank you for being honest. (laughs) You've heard that it happens. 
See, because we weren't built to sin, sinning brings instability, and we lurch from one part of it to another, and it's trying to get stable again, and it's like, gets out of control. The Lord confronted Cain with the consequences of his wrong actions. Yeah, let's just read on a little bit more. So this is Cain's reflection on, on the judgment. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. That sounds a little bit like self-pity to me, rather than, oh God, I repent of my sin. Please don't let all this happen to me. It tells me he had a hard heart. Even if the second encounter comes along. And God deals with us. Let's be like David and embrace it with a tender heart. Rather than, oh, this is more than I can bear. Poor me. My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. The judgment involved his labor becoming completely futile. The ground which was his job to till, becoming infertile and unfruitful. And there's a strong link, and it's said in the, the passage about the blood of Abel being spilt on the land. And the blood in Old Testament is seen as the very life of something. And exterminated life just pollutes things, just changes them. He was excluded and became a wanderer, no permanent home. Restless wandering. Oh, by the way, Cain Judgment Day was an episode on Emmerdale. I don't know if anyone remembers that, but it's the only picture I could find that was about Judgment of Cain. Um, so there you go. Will I ever watch Emmerdale? Loss of fellowship, because his exclusion involved exclusion from other people. And from God. You see, sin messes up relationship. Sin always damages relationships sooner or later. He became fearful. So the judgment involved fear. But it was limited. And the grace of God was in there. See, Cain's fear was that if anyone finds him, he'd get killed. But God said, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. I'm not even going to begin to attempt to answer the question who these other people might be. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. Cain became a marked man, but the grace of God turns things upside down. When we think of a marked man, it means they're marked for life and they need to be got. God's mark said, leave well alone. And there's something of the grace and mercy of God in this. That even though he'd committed murder, the fear that he had of death sentence being carried out on him was stayed off and the Lord protected him. And so he went off from the Lord's presence. Isn't that a sad verse? He went away from the Lord's presence. And lived in the land of Nod, which means wandering east of Eden. 
bring us into land. And the end of the story has long-term consequences. I'm going to finish this off just by reading how the story ended. It's not a nice story, and it doesn't have a nice ending. Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. That's not the same Enoch as a bit later on in Genesis. He went walking with God and didn't come back, by the way. It's a different Enoch. Cain was then building a city. You can ask the question, who for, as much as you like. The scripture doesn't tell us. And he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mahujael. And Mahujael was the father of Methushael. And Methushael was the son of Lamech. Marek... Lamech married two women, one named Adar and the other Zillah. Adar gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who lived in tents and raised livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all who played six stringed instruments and pipes. Not six string. Mine's a 12 string, as it happens. And Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. That word forged means to sharpen and to fashion. And if you're an anthropologist, you might say, well, this dates this at least at the beginning of the Iron Age. Tubal Cain's sister was Namar. So culture developed. That's probably a good thing. But Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Ladies who are married, how do you like your husband to come and sing this to you? Okay. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. A couple of chapters later in Genesis, the earth was filled with violence. What Cain set in motion in his family became a habit. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. Two family lines. The long-term consequences of Cain's rebellion, sin, and inability or unwillingness to rule his own life was that his whole line became more and more violent and became sidelined from God's purposes of filling the earth his redemptive purposes, the bigger story, they became sidelined and eventually extinct. That's scary. And God's ongoing purposes came through Seth. Adam and Eve had another son. And you can trace Seth's line forward through Noah to Abraham, through to Jesus in Luke's Gospel. So God's purposes of an ongoing group of people to demonstrate his redemptive purposes stopped in Cain's line and was transferred to another. It should have been Cain's. He was the eldest son of Adam and Eve. And I can't avoid the inference that it is possible to so mess up to be sidelined from God's purposes. His purposes continue. The issue is whether we're going to be part of them or not.
God confronts dot, 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 dot. Insert your name here. If you dare. God confronts because of his holiness. He does confront sin because he's a holy God. He does. And the good news of Jesus Christ in allowing us forgiveness by his grace doesn't alter his holiness. It's because of his holiness. God confronts wrongdoing for his purposes, that his purposes may continue. And God confronts wrongdoing for our good, to save us from the worst excesses of sin, to give us the opportunity to get back in control, to submit our lives to him, to live godly lives. God confronts. My advice, which I try and heed myself, Take note of the first encounter, because there's more grace there. The first encounter is an encounter of warning, with the invitation to change. The ability, by God's grace, to ensure that certain things that might otherwise be set in motion aren't. But if we ignore God's first type encounters... The second one will come along sooner or later. Hmm. There's an opportunity for those this morning who feel like God's spoken to them to respond to a first encounter type with God. That you're aware that there's maybe anger going off inside that if something isn't changed could start to go pear-shaped on you. Maybe it's not anger. Maybe it's something else. There's an opportunity this morning to find his grace. You see, while the command was to rule and rule it and not let it take a hold of you and not let this evil crouching thing grab a hold of you, the really good news about Jesus is that we can live differently. It's not just God commands us to live differently. He gives us the grace and the means to do so. We sang it this morning. You are stronger, you are stronger. Sin is broken. There's an opportunity this morning to get clear and get free. There's an opportunity this morning to put to death some stuff that might otherwise start to get a life of its own and to deal with sin. Let's remember that we come to a holy God whose purpose is who won't be thwarted but who wants to do us good. He wants us so much to live a good life that doesn't explode on us like with Cain. To live an ordered life. A life where we're in control. And a life where our self-control is empowered and inspired by the Holy Spirit made available to us. A life where the rule of sin has been broken because by faith we've received the completed work of Christ and outwork that day by day.
let's this week live that life. And if we need a bit of help, let's turn to the Lord right now and ask him to come in and help us rule our lives.